We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack-A-Day Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Pack-A-Day Podcast. You can get all your Pack-A-Day updates by following us on Twitter at Pack-A-Day Podcast. And remember, you can always subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Spotify. And, of course, you can always check us out at CheeseheadTV.com. I'm Kyle Fellows, and I'm here with just one of my co-hosts this week, Maggie Loney. Uh, We are super excited to be here for this very special episode to break down what happened in the first round of the 2023 NFL Draft. But it is pretty late. Uh, Maggie, how are you doing? I can't remember the last time I've stayed up this late, and that probably makes me sound like such an old person, but it was, I was going to say it was worth it. I think the first round had enough surprises to kind of keep me entertained, keep me on my toes. What did you think? (laughs) I mean, not, not really going with what a lot of the pundits, I think, had expected initially. Yeah, it was a really different draft, I think, than a lot of people were expecting. I think, I don't know if there's like a couple examples that really you know, stick out like Nolan Smith going really, really late, like just things that were not expected at all. And so, you know, yeah, I mean, it's, it's another Packers draft. We'll we'll get into what they did here in a second, but again, the draft never disappoints. I mean, there's lots of drama, lots of trades, uh, intrigue, and and just really fun to follow across the board. But um, I'm actually in Kansas city right now. I did not attend uh, downtown tonight because I knew we had this, and it's just a little bit easier to follow it, you know, on, on your TV. But I will be going down tomorrow for rounds two and three. So I'm really excited to take that in. It's kind of been a lifelong dream to get to go to the draft. And so I'm excited to do that tomorrow. So I'm excited to be on Central Time with you um, and not be uh, up quite as late maybe as I would be if I were there at home in Michigan. But um, I don't know. Should we jump into what happened here in, in the first round for the Packers? Yeah, I mean, I guess if you, uh, you're going to go to a draft, Kansas City's probably a pretty good one to go to if it's not going to be in Green Bay, which still could happen eventually. But yeah, yeah Casey's probably probably got some good food down there. Just a good atmosphere. Yes, I got the ball rolling on the barbecue this afternoon, <laughs> and I have a full list of other locations I'd like to get to before I get out of here on Sunday. So uh, we shall see what happens, but it, it'll be a good time. Um, Let's jump into it. Obviously, the story of this draft started well before Thursday night when Aaron Rodgers was officially traded 
to New York on Monday. And as weird as it is to see Aaron Rodgers in those Jets colors, I think most Packers fans are pretty pleased with the Hall of Picks that Brian Gutekunst was able to finesse away from Joe Douglas and the Jets. But for our purposes tonight, obviously that has ripple effects into tomorrow and we'll get there. But the most important detail of that trade is that the Jets and the Packers did exchange picks 13 and 15 in the first round. And so, of course, our wait wasn't quite as long as it was going to be. We got to move up a couple spots there. Um, With the 13th pick, the Packers selected Lucas Van Ness, the edge out of Iowa. Maggie, the table was set. Of course, (laughs) the Packers, you know, Packers fans everywhere. They wanted JSN. He's on the board. He started to feel like he was going to be on the board kind of in that 10, 11, 12 range, especially when you knew like 12 was supposed to be the Texans. And then after it was Detroit, you knew like Detroit's probably not taking a wide receiver. So it just kind of felt like it was coming together. The Packers, though, stay true to what the Packers always do. And they didn't take a round one wide receiver, even despite Aaron Rodgers. It didn't happen. Um, (laughs) Instead, they took a high upside, high RAS player from a premium position. This is the most Packers pick ever. So Lucas Van Ness, let's get into him just a little bit. Um, I just want to talk about, you know, why this pick makes a ton of sense, you know, and I've started listening to a little bit of Brian Gudikin's comments, and I know we're just kind of recording this as he's talking, but this is a Packers pick of all Packers picks. I'm going to use two words here athletic and upside and Van Ness is a 9.3 RAS athlete. He ran a 4.5840. His three cone is 80th percentile. He's uh, almost six foot five. I think he's 272 is his listed weight. This is an athletic ball of clay with a really, really high ceiling. I talked about it last week with a really flawed baseball analogy that I kind of stumbled (laughs) through, but I do know that you score runs in baseball, by the way. But uh, Brian Gudikins doesn't try to hit doubles. He just doesn't do it, especially early on in the draft. He swings for the fences, and if this pick hits, it could absolutely be a home run, and it feels like that was the approach here. Yeah, I mean, it it felt too good to be true when Jackson Smith and Jigba started sliding, you know, and I could see Packers Twitter like, oh, my God, what if he goes to the Lions, or, you know, what if somebody trades up, and it felt like an abundance of riches, honestly. And I know there was conversation and we talked about it a little bit on the show too, as far as like, do the Packers trade back getting pick 13? But I think staying put at 13 was really important to them. Mm-hmm. Mina Kimes talked about it. A couple analysts had talked about the idea that, you know, I know the Patriots are really high on Lucas Van Ness. So for the mm-hmm. Packers to be at 13 instead of sitting at 15, of course, the Patriots got a really good player in Christian Gonzalez. Yeah, I know a lot of Packer fans wouldn't have been disappointed if he was the selection at 13, but being in that sweet spot, I think, was really important for the Packers to get their guy. And he, you said it, you know, he is the most Packers type pick that was available on the board. Mm-hmm. You know, you could think 13 is maybe a little bit rich there, um, but he's 21 years old. You already said he's a freak athlete, athletic testing off the charts. And I know that fans don't like the idea of a project label when it comes to a top 15 pick. I understand that you want somebody who can come in and be a day one starter, but he's got a really nice opportunity here to learn and grow behind Preston Smith, who actually has a relative athletic score comp. I thought that was really interesting. And Rashawn Geary, since we don't know if Geary's going to be available week one with that ACL injury and his recovery. So 
he's, I think, a versatile enough player that we can see some of that, like Zadarius Smith kind of roaming nose. And you don't just have to use him as a pure edge rusher. I think he can move around the D-line a little bit too. So the upside makes this a really intriguing pick, even though I think he's going to get that kind of project label like Rashawn Mm -hmm. Gary did. And I know Packers fans are going to shy away from that and not like that. Yeah, it's interesting. So you throw out Zadarius Smith there. Um, again, I just said that I, I caught a little bit of Goody's comments, you know, post first round, and he mentioned Zadarius Smith kind of unprompted. Uh, obviously, he's not comping the players, but someone asked, like, is this a player that you expect to play primarily on the edge with the ability to reduce down inside a little bit? And he basically affirmed that and said, yeah, that's what they see. So this is an edge player primarily, but we know how much versatility Zadarius Smith offered the Packers in his time here and how much, you know, prime Zedarius Smith meant to the defense. So I think that that's the vision here. And I mean, it just is from the moment I watched Lucas Van Ness, the very first time, like there, there are the concerns of like, yeah, this is a developmental player in some ways. Like he has a ways to go in some technique things, but it was so obvious. Like this is a player that should have been starred and circled on every Packers list because it was, you know, just seemed like the guy that they could be totally interested in taking um, at 15 and then, of course, at 13. So really, really interesting. He's a player that, like, when you watched him, and I know if Andrew were able to be here tonight, and I know he's really bummed that he can't be, um, mostly because he's slacking off. But no, the reality is <laughs> Andrew's moving this week, and he had some complications come up uh, with that move. And so he, he's bummed. But I know Andrew and I, I had basically a late one, uh, early two, probably on Lucas Van Ness. I know Andrew was probably just a tick behind where I had him, but that was based on just like the film alone. And I don't know if Andrew's grade would have been adjusted by the end of the process. I'm guessing that it probably would have um, because he takes into account like, hey, this is a player whose ceiling is really, really high and like his age and his RAS and, you know, all that stuff kind of comes together for Andrew and, and the way he does these things. I would expect that that would have been a different conversation uh, of someone that he may have, you know, really, really liked early in this process. But um, I would have loved to hear his thoughts because this is a player who the way that Iowa used him, they sometimes pulled him down the line and played him inside, reduced him down kind of in a defensive tackle, like four eye in some instances. And in those situations, he would kind of get washed out in the run game. And that was kind of concerning because he's kind of billed as this like power player. And you're like, okay, if I'm taking a power player, like I don't really want to see that, like him losing in the run game and those kinds of things. But he he was also put in positions where he's going to lose because he still is only 270 pounds. So that's what I think the projection comes in is like, if you put him in a position where he can kind of thrive on the outside, where he's rushing from the outside, I think that this is a different scenario. So a lot of projection with this player. And I mean, we saw this with someone like Rashawn Gary as well, where the ball of clay was certainly there. The athleticism was certainly there, but this is a team and the Packers saying this is a long-term investment, not just for this year, but the years to come. And we think that we can get the most out of this guy for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, 
this happens every year, right? You know, there's always, you've got it with Kevin King and TJ Watt, like whoever the Packers don't end up selecting, there's always comparisons. And when I think about the Rashawn Gary selection, I think of Brian Burns, who a lot of Packer fans obviously adored. I was one of those people and Ed Oliver, and you kind of follow their career trajectory. And you could argue that Rashawn Gary is, you know, having just as successful of a first contract Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of campaign as these these other prospects. And I think kind of what we're going to see with Lucas Van Ness in this situation is like Miles Murphy. You know, that was a name that we thought could be in the conversation at pick 13 or if the Packers traded down a little bit. So some of these other edge rushers, um, I know Keon White was in the conversation and I'm glad that wasn't the pick at 13. Yeah. <laughs> I know Andrew had a lot of feelings about that. So, yeah. you know, some of these other edge rushers that are in the early first that maybe pack, maybe Packer fans or even the first round in general, Nolan Smith, liked a little bit better. It'll mm-hmm. be another interesting case study of the Packers taking that really high athletic upside raw prospect instead of going for somebody a little more polished and refined and seeing where those career trajectories kind of go in this first, uh, this first contract. Okay. So this is really raw here on the, on the podcast, but I'm going to go ahead and just read the notes that I had on Lucas Van Ness from when I watched him and I watched him pretty early on. So this is pre combine and all those kinds of things. Andrew's not here. His summary would be better, <laughs> but this is my, my take here. So this is a, a player who's obviously we've said six foot five, 265 was what he was listed at, I think, before we got really measurables at the combine. He's up in the low 270s. Uh, He will not turn 22 until halfway through this coming season, so a relatively young player. So we're kind of back in what we thought were maybe green-based preferences before they did weird stuff last year. Um, But this is a high-effort player. The motor runs hot all the time. Lots of production uh, because he plays to the whistle and he just keeps hunting all the time. That was like... Sometimes I was like, I wish he would get there maybe with a little bit more technique. But even when he lost, he just kept coming. I thought that was kind of a unique trait for him. Uh, He gets washed out in the run game a little bit more than you'd like to see. Like I mentioned earlier, Um, only 50 percent of his snaps were outside the tackle. That's kind of what I was talking about earlier as well. The other half were kind of in that, you know, where he's matched up uh, down the four eye or in the B gap or something like that. Uh, I also made a note here. This is a strong player who can reduce inside. We talked about Brian Gutekinds is looking that way already. His home is going to be on the edge, though. Explosive athlete. Really curious how athletic he tests was my note. And he obviously answered that question with a resounding endorsement of his athleticism. Uh, just a ball of clay player. Um, high character. You, got, you know I love to jump into uh, the interviews as well. And this is a player that when he, when he interviews – high character, high work ethic. This is going to be a guy who's first in the building uh, kind of player. So really, really interesting that this was the selection, a player that when I put out my list tonight before the draft, you know, I had JSN at the top. That was my hope, right? But this was the first player on my, like, I would still be really, really happy about the pick list right below JSN. So I'm really excited about it. This is a really good result. Green Bay didn't reach for a tight end. They didn't take a running back in the first round. They didn't overdraft an edge like you mentioned in Keon White or stretched for like that undersized defensive tackle in Cansey. There were lots of things that they could have done. They kind of think had fans nervous, but JSN would have been more exciting. But I really like the process here. And it's clear Green Bay liked the upside of someone like Van Ness over someone like Miles Murphy, who went much later in the round. Um, There's that stigma against Clemson edge rushers not always panning out. 
Um, who knows if that played a role in that decision and why Miles Murphy went a little bit lower than maybe we expected. But Goody loves Georgia players. We know he loves Georgia players, but he also loves Big Ten players. He's taken Rashawn. He's taken Savage, Josh Myers, and he's now added to that list with someone like Lucas Van Ness. Yeah, and I mean, I think the important thing here for Packers fans to remember, because we're always talking, right, about, oh, they're going to take an edge rusher. And I understand the fan perception that is how many more first-round picks are you going to invest in the defense before the defense starts panning out. But I want to say the Packers are 26th in pressures this past season. Mm. And Lucas Van Ness was, he had 74 quarterback pressures in 20, mm. since 2021. So that's the most among Big Ten defenders. So I think you see kind of, you know, what the game plan is for the Packers. And it is frustrating because you have a new quarterback. You obviously want Jordan Love to be surrounded with weapons that he needs to succeed. The wide receiver room, the tight end room, Mm -hmm. very kind of sparse right now. It's a bear cabinet in those positions, but that's why the draft isn't just the first round. And I think this pick makes a lot of sense. And I think once Packers fans get to see him play a little bit more, I agree with you. It's not, I think, the the problem the Packers fans will have was that there was a wide receiver that was really enticing on the board. It wasn't yeah. like the Justin Jefferson where he was selected before the Packers were picking, you know, he was available to them, but mm-hmm. I think Packers fans will come around to this one. And I think it makes a lot of sense for not only the edge room this year, but for the longevity of the position with a really high upside player. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Absolutely. I think you see that discipline of them. I think we have our answer. Like the Packers <laughs> are not going to take certain wide receivers if they're not like JSN is going to be a great player in the NFL, but he doesn't fit a wide receiver one mold unless you use him really, really creatively, which I think that there are teams who will certainly do that. And maybe the Seahawks end up doing that, but the Packers are just not going to take that player in the first round. I think if if they would have, if they were ever going to do it, I think that this was the year that they would have. And they kind of answered that question and just said, no, we're good. So very interesting. Uh, we can put another, you know, notch in our understanding of how the Packers do things and how Brian Gutekinds will continue to follow that model. But um, are we ready to move on? I know that the podcast <laughs> will continue to talk about this for the week ahead. Do we want to talk more about Lucas Van Ness? Or are we ready to kind of poke around the league a little bit and talk about what else happened in this first round? Yeah, let's talk about the first round because for every, yeah, we expected it, Bryce Young kind of pick, there was a head scratcher, I think, that followed it. So lots of fun stuff in the first round this year. Lots of shakeups. Yeah, absolutely. So let's highlight some of those favorite picks. Um, let's talk about who we liked, like what what did we like the teams did, so maybe some team fits uh, that we really liked. This was a really fun night one of the draft. Um, 
were there things that surprised you, Maggie? What, what did you love in this first round? Yeah, somehow the Eagles just, you know, landed Jalen Carter and Nolan Smith with their first round picks. As much as we want to make fun of the Packers for having Georgia favorites, clearly the Eagles also have, you know, heart eyes for Georgia prospects. And yeah. it pays off. I mean, Jordan Davis is on that that roster, that D-line from last year. And now they land two, arguably the two best Georgia prospects in this draft class with their two first round picks. So for a team that was already in the Super Bowl last season and an arguably weak NFC, right, comparatively mm-hmm. to the AFC, the Eagles are looking like contenders again. That defensive line is going to be really scary. That front um, can't go wrong with those picks. I thought that they were, you know, really solid. Also really liked the way that the Seahawks handled the first round. They got Devin Witherspoon. Um, I love him for their defense. I think that's going to be awesome to see him with Pete Carroll. And then, of course, you mentioned it. They snagged JSN, first wide receiver off the board. Um, But two day one impact players, one on each side of the ball. And to have DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and JSN as your slot, or you know, if you kind of want to mix him in on the boundary, just that offense has the potential to be really scary. So those were, I think, maybe my my two favorite uh, teams in the first round, their selections. Yeah, I agree with the Seahawks call. I don't love to like the Seahawks draft, but I, <laughs> I, I know. I mean, they took what I felt like Witherspoon is just such a, a – he's a safe player, but he's a high-impact player. And then to get you know JSM where they did – there was a lot of buzz that they could take a quarterback at five. And I think that maybe we don't know if they actually would have done that, if the right one would have been there, but this feels like they put themselves in the best position to go ahead and win. Even when, you know, you've got Geno Smith at quarterback, maybe you have enough pieces around him that you can kind of make up for him being kind of a league average starter instead of like pushing the reset button on an organization and, you know, trying to fix that quarterback by, being maybe too aggressive. So I like what they did overall as well. I really like what the Colts were able to do, uh, that they went with the high upside, high ceiling player in Anthony Richardson, because there was so much buzz around Levis, right? We know that Levis has his fans and eventually Levis will get picked, I think. (laughs) Um, But that transition here and the comparison, we've heard it, but like the hurts to Richardson transition makes so much sense with the Philly coaching staff connection. Indy's had this rough road of quarterbacks, which feels like it's stretched on forever with just trying to put the next patch on the equipment on the, the position and get somebody who can kind of get them to the promised land. And it's just not working. It feels like this could be a real and dynamic solution for the Colts. So that's going to be a really fun one to watch um, in the next couple of years. Um, those are the things that we love though. That doesn't mean that there weren't some head scratching things <laughs> in the first round, maybe more than we expected. Um, maybe these are picks. Let's talk about this. Maybe they felt like a reach at the time, or we didn't like the team fit. Um, what selections or decisions we didn't really love that we want to mention here? Um, yeah. So I'm going to say like, what on earth are the lions actually doing? Oh, seriously. <laughs> um, you know, Pick 12, Jameer Gibbs, very surprising to take the second running back off the board before any of the wide receivers go off the board. Um, Great prospect out of Alabama. I mean, nothing wrong with his game. I thought he was going to be a high second-round pick, but 12 just felt so rich when there were other needs available for the Lions there. And then to follow that up 
at pick 18 with an off ball linebacker, Jack Campbell. This is a really weak inside linebacker class. So Mm -hmm. maybe the thought process there was, you know, we got to get our guy before we're on the clock again, but they had so much draft capital and they still do in this draft that you really felt like they could move around and kind of maneuver the board a little bit better, a little bit better. So maybe, you know, the thought was we got to get an inside linebacker before the bills do, but felt really rich at 18, just a, it kind of felt like yeah. luxury picks given the number of draft picks they have. Like they were drafting for just, you know, want and st- which is, you know, not a bad strategy. You obviously don't want to always draft for need, but definitely felt like some reaches in the first round for the lions. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like they were on my list. I have another team written down here, but they were definitely a team high on my list of like just head scratching frustrated. Cause like, you don't want to be high on the Detroit Lions because you're Packers fans, but I've been <laughs> one for like months now where I've just accepted the fact that the Lions have done this rebuild the absolute correct way. Like they put themselves in position to really take off running with this division if the Packers can't keep up, you know, with this Jordan Love transition. And they have, like you said, the luxury of these extra picks, picking at pick six, like shouldn't have, you know, been an option for this team. I just kind of wonder if maybe Witherspoon was the goal at six and they thought that that was going to definitely happen and they just kind of panicked because like nothing else seems to make sense. Like they got out of six, they traded down to 12, which I thought was like a great move, like move mm-hmm. down to 12, pick up a little extra capital. But then sitting at 12, they could have taken Christian Gonzalez and taken a cornerback who was arguably just as talented in a little bit different way then um witherspoon and then like they didn't they took gibbs which like was that just a reactionary like were they thinking about taking gibbs at 18 but because their plan got messed up they just went ahead and took their next guy at 12 and then like campbell like it just feels like everything is kind of a mess here like gibbs could have gone to 18 if you would have taken the corner at 12 i feel like it makes a lot more sense but i don't know like they had an opportunity here to take an impact player at six in someone like Jalen Carter, and they could have left at 18 with Gibbs still. And I feel like you feel a lot better about that process. I just don't know. Bouncing around the NFC North a little bit. I was sitting here watching this with a Chicago bears fan and he was just beside himself (laughs) that the bears traded down one slot away from Jalen Carter um, to take Darnell, Wright. Like that was, devastating there so i don't know like i like darn all right but an interesting process for sure and then i think the minnesota vikings like really intriguing move there right when they get a compliment to justin jefferson adding in someone like jordan addison so um we'll see what happens in day two but overall i feel like it's kind of a mixed result day for the nfc north i feel good about green bay and minnesota kind of kind of scratching my head about minnesota or um about chicago and detroit the other team I wanted to mention here really quickly uh, was the Texans because I love that they went ahead and took Stroud at two, but they gave up a fortune to yeah. go get Will Anderson at three. And it just kind of felt like a big overpay when they could have just taken Van Ness at 12. And obviously Anderson is the better prospect and he's better than Van Ness is right now. We've talked, you know, that's that would be silly and a Homer thing for me to pretend that Van Ness is in the same stratosphere as Anderson. But is the difference between Van Ness and Anderson the second pick in the second round this year and a 2024 first, like 
that's a big asking price to go up and get your guy. So I kind of felt like the Texans kind of nailed the first pick with Stroud and kind of fumbled the second one. Um, just understanding that they're still re- rebuilding and need all that draft capital for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think there was, you know, it kind of felt like the lions last year a little bit. And I thought the lions hit a home run last year. They got Aiden Hutchinson. They got Jamison Williams. So there's a part of me that, you know, looks at this and I'm like, okay, you've got brand new coach, brand new general manager. Like you need to hit this draft out of the park. So maybe they, they gave up a lot, but now you have a cornerstone on each side of the ball for your franchise in this rebuild mode. So I think that it was very rich to give up what they did because I agreed that they could have utilized those picks, but mm. I, I kind of understand maybe the idea that now you've got a leader on offense, you've got a leader mm-hmm. on defense, no disrespect to the vets, but like, this is the new guard. Mm-hmm. And um, these are going to be guys that are going to be in your franchise for five, yeah. 10 years. If you're really lucky. That's true. And I mean, we know like they, it felt so weird that they could come out of this draft without a quarterback. So they certainly ended up landing in a spot and taking CJ Stroud. Um, but then also we of course know that D'Amico Ryans is there. And like you said, like maybe this was kind of the the compromise, like he wanted to get his defensive playmaker and they just said, okay, we'll get you your guy, you know, and we'll get both. And that's kind of like how they came to the solution. But uh, certainly an interesting process there and a big asking price that they were willing to give up to make it happen. But um, we know, of course, the draft has just begun, right? This is this is the beginning of an amazing weekend. Uh, tomorrow is day two, rounds two and three. The Packers currently have three more selections tomorrow night. Picks 42, 45, and 78 as they currently sit. We know movement is always possible uh, there's a ton of talent still on the board. So before we wrap up this show, we just want to spend a little bit of time talking about who is still available and who could interest the Packers on day two. Yeah, so we had planned on using Andrew's big board, but since Andrew is not here, um, <laughs> for the sake of conciseness, I'm going to use Daniel Jeremiah's uh, best available board because he he's the one that called the Texans picks. You know, just if you if you're not already following his work around the draft, I don't know what you're doing, but going to use his big board here obviously you mentioned for the quarterbacks we have will levis still on the board hendon hooker i would be astonished if either of those players were on green bay's board but for the sake of who's available had to list the quarterbacks there you've got tight ends michael mayer darnell washington sam laporta luke musgrave wide receivers jonathan mingo jalen hyatt cedric tillman marvin mims jr josh downs um, you've got tackles matthew bergeron and dewan jones Interior offensive lineman Steve Avila and Cody Motch. Defensive lineman Keanu Benton, we talked about on this show. And Adetomiwa Adabare mm. out of Northwestern. Um, you've got safeties Brian Branch and Jair Brown kind of in that top conversation. Edges, Keon White and BJ Odilari would be kind of surprised if one of an edge is a pick at 42 or 45. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the corners, Joey Porter Jr., who slid out of the first round, and Keeley Ringo as some of these next kind of best available prospects on this big board. Yeah, so lots of interesting names on that list. Lots of interesting names specifically for the Packers. Uh, we have to remember that this draft, of course, is seven rounds long, so we're really just getting started. But let's go ahead, make some predictions using some of those ma- names maybe about rounds two and three. Like, what is a specific player that we feel like Green Bay targets? Or maybe it's a position you mentioned edge is probably, you know, a little bit further down on the needs list now that they took one today. Um, what do we think happens tomorrow night? 
Yeah. I mean, we talked about it a little bit ago, right? Where you've got the Packers investing again, heavily on the defensive side of the ball. This could be very much a copy of the 2022 draft where you go defense in the first round. And then, you know, I don't necessarily see the Packers bundling 42 and 45 to move up. Mm. I think the the prospects that they like, at least one of those guys will be available for them. But I think you've got to start now the second round with getting Jordan Love a weapon or two. I'm not saying you need to go get two wide receivers or two tight ends or a wide receiver and a tight end, but I think you need to at least get a weapon in the second round when those players are available, especially knowing, you know, what some of the depth is like for some of these positions. You can find tight ends in the later rounds this year. Wide receivers are kind of hit or miss, not too many on the Packers big board. We're assuming given their thresholds and their specifications um, for, you know, their desired metrics as far as how they view wide receiver size. So some of these names I think are really intriguing for the Packers and I could see any combination of, Cedric Tillman, Jonathan Mingo, Marvin Mims Jr., Michael Mayer, all kind of being in the conversation at 42 and 45. Yeah, I think for me, the biggest takeaway here is I love that the Packers didn't reach for a tight end in this first yeah. round. I love that there are that we only had one come off the board in the first round. Like we've got a really strong board here. You mentioned a Michael Mayer, Darnell Washington, Sam Laporta, Luke Musgrave. I think even someone like Tucker Craft comes into play. Um, even if, if there's a run, I think that he could be in that conversation at 45. Um, potentially, that's a great board for tight end. I can't imagine they leave picks 42 and 45 without a tight end. Um, I like, you know, you listed the wide receivers. I think it's possible. I tweeted that I felt like this is a draft where they're going to give Jordan love weapons. And then I tweeted, LOL, JK, like (laughs) (laughs) we took the edge guy, but I do think that day two is where that happens. Um, I don't think that they will ignore that. So I think those wide receivers you mentioned, I think Rasheed Rice is another name that like the Packers could take him maybe a little bit earlier than, you know, some other teams, but I think 78, certainly if you were on the board, that's an interesting name. Um, I think Matthew Bergeron is a good name here to keep an eye on. Uh, Keanu Benton is super interesting to me. I don't know if the Packers would double up on defensive line, you know, like that would be kind of a heavy investment there. And I know that Brennan Rupp would just die to have Brian Branch in the second round (laughs) if that were to to happen. So uh, some interesting names here. But I think my biggest takeaway is the Packers stayed true to being the Packers. They didn't take a pass catcher. And what do you know, the pass catching board, especially the tight ends, it held up really, really well. And I think they're in good position tomorrow uh, to take some good players. Yeah. And I mean, I think. You know, the hard part is every draft, right? You have positions of need and then positions of, you know, want or best player available. And sometimes those things align and sometimes they don't. So last year we had talked about was a really strong safety class. There were like a good five or six that you could get in the the first, the early second. Some even slid into the third that we were really comfortable with. And I think this class, you know, I know a lot of people aren't, huge fans of Brian branch, not jumping off the page is like an athletic freak. Like we saw maybe in the 2022 class, but going to be interesting to see if I don't want to say they reach, but if the Packers, you know, prioritize like a versatile DB maybe in the second Mm -hmm. round or the third round, I'm not sure at 42 or 45, but I could see 78 kind of being that range because 
it's kind of hard to, to see the Packers leaving day two without some type of defensive back that they plan to play at safety, given how limited that room is. And if you're, you're going into, you know, rounds four five, six, seven, are you really going to find a starter there at least in year one? So my thought would be that they take a corner or a safety, but I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. I think Andrew's not here, so I want to go ahead and the Jalen Hyatt thing. I know he'd be pounding the table for Jalen Hyatt in the 40s here. Uh, so yeah. shout out, Andrew. Uh, we can take the speed guy if you, if you need him. Um, but also, I mean, I think it's just interesting looking down to the third round. You mentioned the defensive backs. And I think, you know, Sidney Brown is a yes. player that a lot of people are really hyped about. And I like Sidney Brown a lot but I really think it's the other Illinois safety. I think Quan Martin is a really strong name that Packers fans should be prepared for maybe at the end of day two uh, to be on their radar. So um, yeah, they've got some holes to fill. This is a team that I don't know if rebuild is, is the right word, but they're retooling and they're adding a lot of talent. And so it'll be interesting to see what they prioritize, especially because like safety probably isn't a strength of the draft, but they certainly need to invest there. Yeah, and I mean, we'll see what happens. Obviously, like you said, the Packers only have a limited number of picks. The draft is seven rounds. So who knows? You know, maybe they come out of this draft unhappy with some of their depth. That's how we ended up with Devondre Kimball a couple years ago, and look how that turned out. So you know that the Packers are always looking and interested in prospects. But I personally, I mean, I love the, the atmosphere and the hype surrounding day one, but Days two and three tend to be a lot more intriguing to me and interesting as like a draft nerd or somebody that mm-hmm. cares about the draft to see where some of these perspective some of these perspective players slide and who is available as these depth pieces for the Packers. So day two, you're still thinking you want some impact players, but day three is when it's really going to get intriguing to see kind of which rooms the Packers decide to fill out. Yeah, can I throw out one doomsday scenario here, <laughs> please? <laughs> The Packers brought in Hendon Hooker um, for a pre-draft visit, and who knows what grade they have on him. But, I mean, you get to the second round, that would not be my selection. I don't think that the Packers need to, like, tinker with two quarterbacks. I think I think we commit to one, we see what we have, and then we move on if, if need be. But I, we know that the Packers have considered taking players like Drew Locke in the past in the second round. If he were still on the board at 42, 45, that's one that I feel like could upset a lot of fans that I could see them saying it's a premium position. You can never have enough quarterbacks. We know that they're probably going to take a quarterback in this draft. And if their grade is high enough, they might just say, why don't we just take the one we like better a little bit earlier? And that would be one that I wouldn't necessarily envy having to be the podcast team for tomorrow. (laughs) I mean, we're talking about how Ted Thompson leaves like this lasting legacy and we still use his metrics and Goody is still taking, you know, Iowa prospects and that are freak athletes. And the, the, I don't think we expected Aaron Rodgers to go to the jets, but when he became the starter, they did obviously take um, Brian Brom in the second round. Mm -hmm. So it's possible. We'll see. Be a little too uh, eerie, I think, if it was I, that identical. <laughs> yeah, it'd be, if there's a lot of parallels, and I think we're ready for maybe less parallels <laughs> pretty soon. But it's going to be a fun day. I'm excited for for day two. I know you know picking 13 is exciting, but when you've got picks 42 and 45 right next to each other, there's a lot of things that could happen. There are a lot of movements, 
and a lot of good players on this board. So I'm excited to see what the Packers end up doing tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, the jokes are going to write themselves about whoever is picked in the third round for the Packers and how it'll be a wasted pick. So maybe yep. Goody will use it as ammunition to trade, uh, get back into the second and do something interesting. But we'll see what happens. That's what makes the draft so fun. That is all the time that we have for today. This has been the Pack-A-Day podcast. You can find Kyle on Twitter at Packer underscore Pundit. You can find me at Maggie J. Loney. And you can follow Andrew at Andrew Mertig. Make sure you check his Twitter tomorrow. I'm sure he will want to get his thoughts out on the first round and some of his best players available on his big board. Um, and remember to also, of course, follow the Pack-A-Day podcast. So please subscribe to the show. Rate the podcast if you like what we're doing. If you love all the draft content that we bring you, you can catch Kyle Andrew and me every Friday and make sure that you check out the rest of the episodes this week on Saturday and Sunday, breaking down what green Bay has done in rounds two through seven. So thank you as always for listening and remember go pack, go. Chapman, welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.